So I've had the privilege of, carry, of, of traveling to a bunch of countries uh, all over the world, and uh, there's a map that the red part shows places I've been to. Now, obviously, some of them are joined together, and so you can't see the borderlines between some of them, but, but pretty much every place on that map I've been to at some point in my life. And I thought what I'd do this morning is we'd have a little bit of a, of a, of a quiz. I would, I'm going to say I see you in a language from some of those countries. We're only going to put, pick 12. And it's not necessarily the main language of that country, okay? But it is a, a language you would hear in that country. And I'm going to say I see you, and let's see if, how close we can get. And remember, South Africa, although I live here, that's actually not part of this competition, okay? So the first phrase of how I see you is Exenio. Yeah, it's Afrikaans, but which country, people? I, I just told you, it's not part of this competition. No, Namibia, Namibia, Exenio. Uh, the next three are quite kind of related to each other, so that may help you. Ndiri kukuona. Ndiri kukuona. Close, but where are the Zimbabweans this morning? Okay, Zimbabwe. Ndakuona, um, Ndakuoni. Ndakuwoni. No, no. Malawi. Nakuona. Kenya and Tanzania. Here's a nice one. Ana Araka. Ana Araka. Probably if you've traveled, you've actually been there, although you may not have stayed over. Dubai. It's Arabic. It's Arabic. Um, oh, see if I can get this one right. The United Kingdom, Wales, actually, yeah. I know the pronunciation was terrible, but it's German. It's German, yeah. Um, and now put your fingers in your. Okay, I mustn't say that. Is that okay? Yes. Yarsaday. Yasserday? Sweden. Sweden. Swedish. Yasserday. Okay, here's a trick one. Jet. Jetevois. Yeah, but I haven't been to France. Haven't been to Mauritius either. Canada. Thank you. Yeah. Nan unaip parakiriadi. Nan unaip parakiriadi. Thailand. Oh, no, I'm lying. Lying. <laughs> Sri Lanka. Okay, now I've given you the next one. Chanhen Kuhuh. Yeah, that one. That one. That one's Thailand. And then my personal favorite, Me Lookum You. Me Lookum You. It is a real language. Papua New Guinea, talk pigeon, me look at you. So, having said all that, I want to say this, Saubona, I see you. So the last few weeks we have been grappling with prejudice. We have preached a long series on it. Why? Because it's so important. Because prejudice is a deeply rooted sin that Every human being is prone to. 
I have battled with this sermon. I can't remember when last I struggled so much to prepare a sermon. And it's just on repentance. I mean, preachers preach on repentance all the time. That's what we do. Why have I struggled so much? Why? As I looked at this passage from Acts chapter 10, verse 28, where Peter says this, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Right there, the definition or a definition of prejudice. I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Now, the truth is, we actually never really say those words. But we do it. We act on it. We act in ways that say, that person is less than me. That person isn't as close to God as me. That person is somehow inferior to me. And we do it because we are prejudiced. Here are some of the reasons I think it's so hard to preach a sermon on repentance around the issue of prejudice. The first thing is that you've got to understand what kind of repentance we're talking about. So, so there's two kinds of repentance in the Bible. There is the repentance that leads to salvation. So it, it is kind of the essence of, of, it's part of the non-negotiable steps of becoming a follower of Jesus. You have to repent of your sin. And, and you, that, that involves saying, God, I, I need you. I can't handle myself. I can't do, deal with my own sin in my own life. You have to deal with it for me. And so we repent. And then often we say, well, that's done now. That, that, that's done. And so I don't have to worry about repentance again. Jesus covered my sins, and he did. But it doesn't mean I have to stop worrying about sin. Because there's another kind of repentance that the Bible teaches about. And it's, it, 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 to use the theological term, it's sanctification. The first term is salvation. We repent so that, so it's in order to be saved. And then we repent of sins because we are saved. And the Bible calls that sanctification. Becoming, well, theologians call it sanctification. Becoming more like Jesus. You see, and that's the hard one. Because sin isn't just on the surface. You know, you know, when you became a follower of Jesus, you gave up a whole lot of things. And then you start discovering the things that are deep down inside you. And the truth is, I have, as I've gotten older, I've struggled more with this. As I hopefully have become more spiritual mature, I've struggled more with it. Because the sins are deeper and deeper down inside me. And they are so much harder to recognize. So that's, that's the first thing. It's hard because, because it, often the people say, well, no, we've done that. We've got saved. No, no, this is that kind of repentance that we must practice after we have become a follower of Jesus. The second reason I think it's so hard is because of how pervasive the sin of prejudice is in our world. How pervasive it is in our world. If you haven't been around for the last three weeks, I, I, I wish I could make it compulsory for you to get the CDs from the last three weeks. Please. 
go to the desk at the back if you've still got a CD player, if you're one of those people who still has a CD player. Then go and get the CDs. If you haven't, you can listen online. They're all available online, but please go and listen to them. It's, it's really important because the, the truth is that prejudice is a pervasive sin in our society. If you just think of, of some of the evils that we know about in our world, they are not exclusively caused by prejudice, but they cannot happen unless prejudice is there. They cannot happen. I want to tell you this. Wars cannot happen unless there's prejudice there. They cannot. You, you can't get normal human beings just to go and kill each other unless you somehow convince them they need to hate the other person or objectify the other person or, or just make them not human. And so, so this this deep pervasiveness, prejudice. You remember the Irish Catholic conflict, the troubles they used to call it in Ireland, where people just blew each other up. Why? Because people were prejudiced against each other. No, no, there are lots of other political reasons. I'm not arguing about any of those. But at the core, there is prejudice the wholesale destruction of Aboriginal people all over the world, whether it be in North America or in South America or in Africa or in Australia or in the, in the, in the East. When people arrive, they exterminate other people. Why? Because they're savage, because they're uncivilized, because they're godless, because they're this, because they're that. It's how they do it. The Holocaust the killing of six million people simply because they were Jewish or because they were gypsies or because they had some physical abnormality or because they were gay or because they were just the wrong kind of people. Apartheid. Slavery. The fact that that you can just take millions of people from their homes in chains, put them on a boat, take them to another side of the world and they become your property. Wow. You can't treat equals like that. The denial of women, the right to vote. Every genocide ever. Rwanda, the Congo, North America, the Hereros in Namibia, Bosnia, every genocide ever. You have to start talking about people as cockroaches or as filthy, or as dirty, or as scum, or something, before you can get other people simply to kill them wholesale. And it's hard, because those kinds of sins are collective sins. They're collective. And so, so even though I know that I've done some things that, that contributed to things like that, I go, well, I didn't do it. And so, so I don't need to repent of it. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. If I held the same kinds of prejudices that allowed other people to do it, I need to repent not of that, but of my prejudice. And so that's why it's hard to preach it, because it's not, it's not only an individual sin. Prejudice is a collective sin as well. The third reason it's so hard is how deeply rooted our prejudices are. Our prejudices are so very deeply rooted in us. 
They are given to us by our parents and by our society, and they are normal. I grew up in a church environment where divorce never happened. It never happened. And, and, and I was prejudiced against divorced people. I was. I would look at them differently if they were part of the church. I would think differently about them. I, I, you know, I, I just would. And it never came out. I didn't say anything nasty to them, but I just knew. You know, they couldn't become this kind of person. They could just was there. And, and I'm glad to say that, that I got over it. I learned that, that all sin has consequences, but, but you can't hold the consequence of somebody's sin as a prejudice against them. And I was so glad I was over it. Until one day I discovered I wasn't. And I was dating a girl. Her name was Anne. And she was a great girl. And I really, we had a great relationship. And I thought, this may go somewhere. And then one day in the conversation, Anne said to me, she was talking about her family and my family and stuff, and she said to me her parents were divorced. In that moment, I knew the relationship was over. Seriously, John? Wow. What is wrong with you? She didn't get divorced. It wasn't her. It was her parents. But I, but I just knew. And I had all sorts of justifications, you know. You know, one day I'm going to be a pastor, and I don't know how that'll look. Oh. How superficial. How sad and how wrong. But you know what? If you'd asked me before that, I would have said, I don't hold any prejudice against divorced people. I'm over that. Thank God I'm over it. And then I got myself in a set of circumstances and suddenly I realized I wasn't. Why? Because those kinds of sins are so pervasive. We grow up with them. And very often they have a religious component to them. I know what the Bible says about divorce, and, and, and none of it is, is, is wrong. I know the Bible says God hates divorce, and I know that. And so, you know, there's all sorts of rules you can go to, but that doesn't excuse what I did. It doesn't excuse it. I still have to repent of it. And that's why the, this, especially around something like prejudice, it's so deeply rooted in our society. But here's the problem. If we can't deal with our prejudice, we cannot properly fulfill the law of God. If we cannot deal with our prejudices, we cannot properly fulfill the law of God. The greatest law is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. That's the royal law. And we cannot love people as much as we love ourselves if we are prejudiced against them. Now, I'm not talking about letting people off the hook for bad things they've done. I'm not talking about that. That's not prejudice. That's post-judgment, and that's a very different thing. But we cannot fulfill the royal law if we can't see the image of God in other people. We cannot. And so it's desperately important. And you know what I wish? I wish, church, that we could all be less like Peter and more like Paul when it comes to the sin of prejudice. Both Peter and Paul were apostles of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Both of them knew that Jesus had said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. We know that. Both of them knew that, and, 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 and off they were on their mission. But if you were here last week, you will, no, week before last, 
You will have heard Jean Ray talk about how badly the early church did this, how they, they couldn't get over this thing of theirs, and they, they actually couldn't fulfill this law that, to preach the gospel because they were just doing it to, to Hebraic Jews. Along comes this guy called Paul, and he's not part of the original apostles, and he is an expert on prejudice because of how prejudiced he is. He is, a, he is a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He kept all the laws. He was taught by Gamaliel. He was the most Jewish Jew you could get. In fact, he was so prejudiced that he went around killing Christians. That's how prejudiced he was. And then one day, on the road to Damascus, Jesus appears to him, and he has an encounter, and he gets saved. And instantaneously he is cured of his prejudice. Now, the other sins he doesn't instantaneously get cured of, but that's one of the sins God instant, and I wish God would do that with all of us. And he does it from time to time with people, but it's not the usual way. Listen to what he says in Romans eleven thirteen. I'm talking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles, I take pride in my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. I mean, he's like now aggressively anti-prejudice. He's like, guys, I am proud of the fact that I'm sent to people that everybody says are dogs and sinners and cockroaches. It's what I do. And, and, and you know what? I want to do it so well that all the other oaks get jealous and they stop. And they Instantaneously, he goes from being super prejudiced to nothing. Peter, not so much. If you were here two, two weeks ago, you remember Jean-Ray talking about that time when Peter's now about to get called to a Roman's home. He's never been into one before. And, and, and he won't go because he, he hates Romans. And then God gives him this dream. It's a sheet that comes down and, 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 and he tells him to eat. And, and then this is what it, Peter says about that. This happened in AD 35 just so you know. Acts 10, 28, he said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Finally, Peter gets it. Finally, Peter, after so many years of of avoiding being a missionary to, to other people that weren't like him, He finally gets it, and he shows up in a Roman's home, and God is glorified, and amazing things happen. But the problem is he doesn't get it. Even at this point, I want to read something else to you. This is now Paul writing a letter in AD 50. So 15 years after that other incident, when Cephas, who's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he urged, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. So it's 15 years later, he still hasn't actually gotten over it. He's still, this this prejudice of his has popped back up. He is the main leader of the whole church. Folk, if Paul hadn't done what he does here, you and I wouldn't be sitting here today. You understand that? 
if Paul hadn't said, hey, hey, church leader, you, and he uses quite strong language, eh? You stand condemned. <laughs> Why? Because Paul's journey was instantaneous, but Peter's was not. It took him almost his whole life to repent of the sin of prejudice for religious reasons, for ethnic, ethnic reasons, and a whole lot of other. It took him his whole life. I think the same is going to be for us. I think mostly it's the same for us, is that we have to go on a journey. It doesn't happen instantaneously. And so what does that journey look like, that journey of repentance? Well, the first thing that the Bible teaches us is that there needs to be an inward journey. There needs to be an inward journey if we are to deal properly with our sin, any sin, but in this case, particularly the sin, of, the, the, the sin of prejudice. In Psalm 139, verse 23, it says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Folk, we all have blind spots. All of us have things we just can't see about ourselves. Everybody knows them. Everybody around us knows that you are grumpy or you are this or you are that. And when somebody says it to you, you go, Mm-mm-mm-mm. but it's true. Even the writers of scripture, they, they invite God into that journey. Check me out. Paul thought he was, I mean, Peter thought he was super brave. Nah, I'll never deny you. Never. I'll never deny you. I'll die for you. I never knew him. I never knew him. Peter, the leader of the church, was that superficial in his understanding of himself. Jesus comes to him and says to him, Peter, do you love me? You know I love you. Peter, do you love me? You know I love you. Peter, do you love me? And the Bible says, and Peter was hurt. What's happening there? Jesus is digging in his heart. Jesus is digging deep down in those things that he's hidden from himself. He's hidden from everybody else. And that's this passage that says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. And this, the hard part of this is that almost always God uses other people to do the digging. He, I wish he just, you know, you read the Bible and you just went, Ta-ding, that's my sin. But I needed a friend to come to me and say, John, why did you break up with Anne? Oh, you know, I don't love her anymore and it's not going to work. No, no, why? No, no, you know, it's like, no, John. Part of the problem is your prejudice. No, I'm not. And, and, and it hurts. It hurts. But we've got to invite God in to search our hearts. And sometimes, most often, he will use other people to do that. So there is always an inward journey of repentance. And that's why I love, I love liturgy. Because it makes you ask God for forgiveness again and again. Secondly, this journey also involves an upward journey. Psalm 51 verse 10, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. We have to keep coming back to Jesus. That was what was hard with Peter. That whole passage with Peter when Jesus is saying, do you love me, do you love me? If you read it in the Bible, that says, it's the passage where, where 
where Jesus restores Peter, where he brings him back. And, and, and we've got to keep doing that. We've got to keep going back to God and saying, God, thank you that you love me. We've got to keep back going back to God and saying, let's worship together. We've got to keep going back to our life group, even when it got really awkward this last week when we were talking about things that some of us didn't like. We've got to keep going back. It is a journey back to God, back to his people, back to listening, back to worshiping, back to learning. It is a upward journey that says, I will become like Jesus. I will. And I'm going to keep at it. And even if I take a tiny step today, I'm going to keep at it. It is a Godward journey. Finally, there is the outward journey of repentance. And I think this is where we most often fall short. This is where we most often, especially when it comes to those kinds of sins that end up being collective sins. The first step of that outward journey is confession. James 5.16, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. It is a command of scripture that we confess our sins to each other. Now, that doesn't mean we have to go and tell everybody our every sin. It doesn't mean that. But it does mean that if you have a sin that you have told nobody about, that sin has power over you. That sin has power over you. That's what I love about my LTC group. This group of three or four of us that get together and we confess. And it's not, I mean, it's not, it's kind of an, it just happens as part of the conversation. We don't go, okay, I'm now going to confess. No. But we're telling each other, this is my struggle. This is my struggle in this relationship. This is my struggle there. Here's the problem. We think confession is, is, an, act, is an action. It's a journey. Dave McEverly usually sits over there. He's praying at the moment. He's an alcoholic. Dave McEverly has been clean and sober for 38 years. Yeah, 38 years. He has not, yeah, you should, eh? Now, it's a sin for Dave to drink. Because he's an alcoholic, the action of taking a drink is a sin because of where it's going to take him. He has not committed that sin for 38 years. Seriously, he hasn't committed. But you know what? He confesses it at least three times a week. He's part of AA. And at least three times a week, he sits with other people and says, my name is Dave and I'm an alcoholic. He doesn't say, my name is Dave and I do a few bad things. My name is Dave and I'm a normal human being who falls occasionally. He doesn't do that. He names that sin. And I think that sometimes we have to do that with sin. Even when my name is John and I'm prejudiced against divorced people. I haven't been prejudiced against them for years. I haven't, but it's in me. I found it out back when I was a young adult, and I, and I thought I'd dealt with it. And so sometimes we need to be able to go to people and, and confess again and again, even when we, I think as South Africans, we should probably say, I'm, I'm a South African and I'm prejudiced against people of other races. I may not have done anything prejudicial for you, but it, it it got built into us when we were born, people. It got built into us when we were born. And even if we haven't done it, and even if God has delivered us from it, I think it's probably a good idea to remind ourselves sometimes that we can go there. 
confession. The second part of that outward journey is restitution. Paying back the wrong we've done. Exodus 22, anyone who, anyone who steals must certainly make restitution. But if they have nothing, they must be sold as, to pay for their theft. If the stolen animal is found alive in their possession, whether ox or donkey or sheep, they must pay back double. There's a principle in Scripture that says sin always has consequences. It does. It, it's still forgiven, but there's still consequences. You see that in the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus comes down out of the tree. God, Jesus goes to his house. They, they eat together. Zacchaeus says, if I've, if I've, everything I've taken, I'll give back. If I've cheated anybody, I will pay them back ten times what I cheated them. What's he doing? He understands. His sin has consequences. Now, we can't pay back very often financially. But folk, we can pay back words. We can pay back words. It was so great. So Anne, we're still friends. In fact, she introduced me to Colleen. In fact, she was a bridesmaid at our wedding. But there had to come a point where I had to say to her, Anne, I didn't break up with you because of what... Because of me. And sometimes we make restitution just with words. But we must do it. And then finally, the final act is the act of reconciliation. Matthew 5 verse 23, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Folks, here's the problem with reconciliation. It is not cheap. It is not cheap. We want it to be cheap, but it is never cheap. In fact, Jesus died so that we could be reconciled to God. That's how expensive reconciliation is. It's so expensive that Jesus died so that we can be reconciled to God. But it is necessary. We can't simply tell people to get over it. We can't. Imagine if we just said to God, I know we've sinned God, but we're human. Get over it. We can't just tell people to get over it. We've got to say things like, how can I help you deal with this? How can I, how can I help you going forward because of things you've experienced? How can I be with you? How can I be reconciled? I'm sorry for what I did. I'm sorry it hurt you. How can I show you I love you? Now, folks, that can be abused. We know that. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about us going to other people, not their reaction to us. There's ways you can do this. You can be part of the individual reconciliation. The Sauerborn bus is a great way of, of being part of this journey. Just go and sign up for the bus after the service. But, but also, that, that idea of group reconciliation. Have you ever sat down and, and asked one of our Zimbabwean folks, what does it feel like to be a refugee? Oh, what does it feel like to left your country? One of our Mozambican friends. What does it feel like? I'm, I'm not taking responsibility, but just explain it to me so that when I see you on the street corner, I don't just say you should get a job. What does it feel like? When last did you ask a woman, what does it feel like, guys, that when we go for a walk, we don't have to worry about that guy that's walking behind us and hold our keys in our hands like this because we feel unsafe. When last did you ask a person that? 
Be reconciled. Doesn't mean you have to fix everything, but it means you sit down with a group of people and say, God is taking us somewhere together through the confession of our sin. You, You know what happens if we do that, don't you? We become people without prejudice. Imagine, imagine someone walks in here and it doesn't matter what they look like, we react to them with the same amount of love. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Imagine what that would feel like. Imagine a church without prejudice where everybody knows they are loved. Imagine a world without prejudice. It doesn't just happen. It happens because we go on the journey that starts with repentance. We don't have to imagine a world like that. That kind of world exists. There are two people, Laurentia and Tassian. Those two people on the screen. They're friends. They're neighbors. They live close to each other. They live in the same village. She sometimes babysits his children. It wasn't always like that. Listen, to what Tassian says about Laurentia. I'm very grateful to her. Ever since I wrote to her from prison, confessing to my crimes and asking her for forgiveness, she's never once called me a killer. Now I often leave my children with her when I have to go away from the village. She has set me free. They were both Rwandans. He killed almost her entire family. Literally, him personally. Murdered her whole family with machetes. He left her and two of her siblings for dead. The rest of the family he killed. And there they are. There they are. They live in the same village. Why? Because they went through this. They asked for forgiveness. You hear what he says? She's never once called me a killer. He is a killer. She has set me free. Wow. See, that's what happens when we aren't prejudiced anymore. That's what happens when we judge people through the eyes of Jesus. When we truly can love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and strength whether they are divorcees or whether they are another color, whether they are another religion or whether they are another age group or another gender, doesn't matter what they are. But when we say, you are the same as me because God created you, this starts in the heart. And it starts with us. And we can start here today. We're going to sing now. We're going to spend some time worshiping. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. And we're going to begin by confessing. And you may want to just sit in the seat where you are and do it there. You may want to come to the front. You may even take the step before confessing. Search me, O God. Search me, O God. And so I'm going to invite you as we worship. You may want to come to the front. You may want to go into the chapel. You may want to do it where you are. But let us take the first step to being a church where people look at us and say, oh, you know what about those people? They love the Lord the God with all their heart, soul, and strength, and they love their neighbor as much as they love themselves. God, may it be so. Amen.